Well, uh, Trey and Janessa, thank you for reading the scripture for me today. That text is our text for the few words I want to share with you this morning, 1 Thessalonians 5. And I want to invite you all into a conversation that our church has been having this entire fall. Our theme for 2021 is a journey of faith. And so every season of the year, this year, we have been exploring different facets of faith. And for the fall, we have been gathering under, under the heading of this question, what do you believe? It's a powerful and poignant question. I believe it shapes everything about you. Our behavior is actually rooted in our belief. And so we've, we've asked the question together as a church as we have been constructing together a worldview. And we've been asking questions like this. What do you believe about belief itself? What do you believe about truth? What do you believe about Jesus? One Sunday morning, we asked the question, what do you believe about government? What do you believe about prejudice was one topic. What do you believe about anthropology and the biblical understanding of humanity and our purpose on this earth? What do you believe about serving the local church? Well, today, we're going to explore another question as we continue the conversation about constructing a biblical worldview. What do you believe about the future? As I shared with you as a church family already, to construct a worldview is a challenge, but it is everybody's responsibility. Every one of us has to do it for ourselves because it will govern what you do with your life. It will govern how you engage in the everyday. And when you study the whole understanding academically of a worldview, most scholars who have helped us try to address it agree that you ask yourself a series of questions. And if you can answer those questions, that's how you begin to build your view of the world. You can condense the questions, I think, into four areas. The first question, who am I? The second one, where am I? And the third one, what went wrong? And then the final question, well, what is the answer? All of us who've lived long enough to know that we have to grapple with that profound question of identity. Who are we? Where are we in history? And what went wrong? Because we look at our world and we all know something is amiss, don't we? Something went wrong. We watch the news. We live our lives in our families and our communities. And we see so much wrong. And what is the answer? Well, as you begin to construct the worldview, you have to begin somewhere. And the question is, as you try to address these and answer them for yourself, at some point you are going to resolve for yourself what your belief about fundamental truth and ultimate reality is. And for many people in my society, they have answered the question this way. At the heart of fundamental truth, at the heart of ultimate reality, is human reasoning and personal experience. And so most Americans today, many Americans, 
All of reality is viewed and understood, understood through the lens of human capacity. What is it that I'm able to understand and how have I personally experienced this world? And from that, many, many people in my society construct a worldview. So consequently, the prevailing worldview across our land is secular, it's self-centered, it is selective, and it is highly seductive. Now, if you can imagine, those of us like me who are Orthodox Christians, it is quite challenging to live in a sea of those filled with that particular perspective. Because I have arrived at a very different conclusion. For me, my understanding of ultimate reality is not human reasoning and personal experience. For me, ultimate truth and ultimate reality is actually found in revelation. And that is the revelation of the only God who is. And God has revealed himself through his world, through his word, through the word, Jesus, and through his spirit. And what I have discovered is that if you embrace that view, it's hard because the truths that emerge from that view are often inconvenient. And they cause us to bristle because it requires submission, surrender to the Lordship of Christ and to the authority of the revealed Word of God. And we find ourselves often quite comfortable in submitting to the parts of the Word of God that we like and enjoy. All those promises. But the challenging sections of the Word of God, the ones that confront us with our own brokenness and our own limitations and our own sinfulness, those are the ones that are difficult. And I would just tell you, it is a challenging journey. But Jesus has made a promise to us. Here's what Jesus says. You shall know the truth and the truth will hold you captive. The truth will drag you down. The truth will honor your personal experience. The truth will corroborate your human, what did Jesus say? You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Free, praise God. And so, that's where I have to begin. And so when I am trying to answer these questions, what do I believe about government or prejudice or anthropology or uh, belief itself or Jesus or even today's question, the future, that's where I have to begin. So what I'd like to do here in the next couple of minutes is just ask you a couple of questions. The first one is this, who knows what the future holds? You know, we're, we've always been infatuated with the future, haven't we? We, we like to make predictions. I mean, you even get a daily report on the futures stock market. Isn't that right? Isn't that what they call it? The futures? I don't know enough about all of that. Um, but you know, people make predictions 
and they're just wrong. I mean, true? They do. They make predictions, and they're just wrong. Um, you know that Henry Ford's lawyer went to the president of the Michigan Savings Bank in 1903 to petition a loan on Henry Ford's behalf for his technology. Here is what the president of the Michigan Savings Bank said to Horace Rackham in 1903. He said, protect your money. The horse is here to stay. The automobile is a novelty. <laughs> John Philip Sousa, in 1906, he wrote an article entitled The Menace of Mechanical Music. And he said these machines that bring symphonies into people's homes, he says there will be fewer and fewer cheap lutes being purchased all because the automatic music devices are usurping their places. There is an era coming when music can be heard in the homes without the labor of study and close application, without the slow process of acquiring a technique. It will simply it will simply be a question of time when the amateur disappears entirely and with him a host of vocal and instrumental teachers who will be without a field or a calling. In other words, if you bring music home on some type of record player, it would destroy the field of music. He was wrong. 1876, William Orton was president of, the, of Western Union. Alexander Graham Bell offered to sell him a patent for his new technology for $100,000. Here's what he said. The idea is idiotic on the face of it. Furthermore, why would any person want to use this ungainly and impractical device when he can send a messenger to the telegraph office and have a clear written message sent to any large city in America? And he passed on the telephone. Daryl Zanuck, when was, he was this incredible producer of uh, Grapes of Wrath and other uh, movies, they asked him about the future of television. He said, television won't be able to hold on to any market it captures after the first six months. People will soon get tired of staring at a plywood box every night in their homes. <laughs> One of my favorites is Steve Ballmer from Microsoft. When the iPhone was introduced, he said, there's no chance that the iPhone is going to get any significant market share. He was wrong. <clears throat> Ken Olson, president of Digital Equipment Corporation, said there's no reason for any individual to have a personal computer in his home. Well, people make all kinds of predictions. Who knows the future? Do you know in the Christian family, we've been debating the future since the beginning of Christianity. Montanus, who was a, a Christian theologian in the second century in Asia Minor, he was convinced Jesus was going to return in his lifetime. And so he gathered a group of followers and he, he believed that God had led him to the very place where Jesus would return. The new Jerusalem would be in Phrygia. And so he led this effort in what today we would call Turkey and he preached moralistic rigidity and an ascetic approach to life because Jesus was going to return in his lifetime. Turned out to be a failed prophecy. But Montanists continued to exist for seven centuries holding on to that hope that just maybe Montanus was actually right. So, who knows what the future holds? Well, I, I, I don't know, but here's a better question. Who holds the future? 
1 Thessalonians 5, I want you to notice what Paul says. He says, now brothers and sisters, I don't need to write to you about the times and dates. In Greek, it's chronos and kairos, this measured time and meaningful time. And then he says this in verse two. He says, the day of what? The Lord. Paul said, you know who holds the future? The Lord. His day is coming. His day. Well, you see, it's a worldview issue. Who holds the future? Well, it depends on your worldview. How you view the future depends on that core question of where do you think ultimate reality emerges from? My worldview tells me this. God created the universe. He's invested in this universe. It is a reflection of his will and his wisdom. It also displays his glory and he is guiding and shaping and moving this universe to his desired end. And somehow in his sovereignty, he has allowed human beings to bear his image on this earth and live in absolute freedom with dignity to exist in the midst of his grand design and play a significant role in this journey that we know as history that ultimately is his story. So who holds the future? God himself, praise God. So let me just share this one word with you today. And I believe this is what Paul is teaching us in 1 Thessalonians 5. We demonstrate our trust in God's future for us by living fully in his presence, in the present. You demonstrate your trust in God's future by living in God's presence right now in the present. In Acts 1, you remember that story when Jesus had died on the cross, been resurrected from the dead? You remember that story? And Jesus is appearing to his disciples and he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. And, and you know, the Bible tells us in Acts 1 that while they were gathered with Jesus, all of a sudden Jesus disappeared. Y'all remember the story? Nobody saw that coming. Nobody was in the group going, hey, guess what? He's about to, just, hey, wait. You wanna be, on? let's do a countdown. He's, here's what's about to happen. No, here's what, and what did they do? Do y'all remember? They did this. <laughs> and what did the angels say? They said, hey, why are y'all standing here looking up? That's the Alabama Living Bible paraphrase. <laughs> They said, why do you stand here gazing into heaven? This same Jesus is going to return just like he left in glory and unexpectedly. Paul says like a thief in the night. Some people misunderstand that. They think Paul is saying Jesus is going to return in secret like a thief in the night. Well, a thief in the night's not secret. You know it when a thief in the night comes. It's unexpected when the thief in the night comes. And so Paul says that day is coming but the, the, the angel said, why do you stand here look gazing? In other words, get to work. You've got work to do. Live in the present and let the Lord take care of the future. And so Paul says the return of Jesus, the day of the Lord is certain, it's fixed. It's something that God is in charge of. He says people are worried about peace and safety, verse three. Pox and securitas 
is the Latin phrase. The Romans advertised it. It was part of their slogan. The Roman government provided pox and securitas. Well, Paul drew from the Roman world and said, actually, you don't find that in the Roman government. You find that in the presence of, and the person of God himself. And Paul says, we're children of light. We're children of truth. We're not given to speculation. Our lives are lived, our lives are lived in service and dedication, in devotion and discipleship today. That's how we discover the real future God has for us, by being alive right now, not waiting around, not hoping that something's gonna happen to us. Y'all know I have that rug in my office that says what? You are here. And so I stand on it every once in a while because I know for that moment, I'm right here. Well, guess what? That's where you live your life. You live your life right now, not where, you don't live from where you wish you were. You have to start from where you are. You don't start from where you want to be. If you wait, you will never get to where you need to be. We live our lives in the present. And so Paul says we're children of light. Live right now. The future will take care of itself. We're children of light. We're not given to speculation. God has a way of calling you into his future by asking you to serve him in his present. God said, Abraham, come on. I'm gonna take you. Well, how do you get from where Abraham was to the promised land? You start from where you are. God said to Moses, Moses, you've been in Midian long enough. Come on. We're going to go back to Egypt. God had a future. Moses, Abraham had a present. God said to Jonah, come on, I've got a revival meeting. I want you to come to. I'm about to do a work. I want you to participate in it. Come on, follow me. God said to Saul of Tarsus, stop what you're doing and come follow me. I have a future for you. How did Saul find his way to being Paul? Well, he answered the call of God in the present and his future unfolded in front of him. So First Baptist Arlington, I believe God has a glorious future for us. I do. Our heritage, our history, I'm so grateful for it. And I'm honored to be the pastor of this church as we have appreciated our heritage. But I'm so grateful for where we are right now. God is leading us right now. He has a future for us, For the way we will find our way into that future is for us to lean into the present and allow God's vision to guide us on the everyday and we'll seek his direction and we'll live faithfully in the present. That's how we'll find our way to the future. I would say to you personally, I don't know where you all are in your lives, what you're struggling with, what, what issues you may be facing today, what the future holds for you, but I do know that if you wanna find the future that God has for you, you start in the present. And you follow in the everyday. And you allow him to unfold that vista in front of you, opportunities for you. And you discover it as you live faithfully every day, serving, obeying, and following not your way. You already know your way. You already know what you think. You already know what you wish things were like. You already know all that. You're in, you are the resident expert of your own opinion. But sometimes your opinion like mine is faulty. It's cloudy. It's connected to something inside of me that's sinful that needs to be restored and redeemed so that I can see truth even if it's inconvenient and hard and it bristles when I touch it. Guess what Jesus promised me though it would do for me? It will set me free. It'll set me free from my limited perspective. Set me free from just living my little old life set me free from crafting my own future. It'll set me free to where I can be redeemed and restored and I can live the life God's called me to live. And so for you, if you're wondering about your future, 
I'm going to encourage you to get really enamored with your present. And give God a chance to work right now and let him start opening those doors for you. And you know what? You can trust him. You can trust him. You know how I know you can trust him? You can trust him with your future. You can trust him with everything. He's trustworthy. And here's what I know about him. You can trust God today because you know what? He's got the whole world in his hands. 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 He's got you and me in his hands. He's got you and me in his hands. He's got you and me. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. Praise God. Praise God. You can trust him today. Wow. Let's pray about our future. Father, we love you and we thank you. My goodness. How could you walk through a weekend like this and not be grateful? You have... You've reminded us again and again of your faithfulness. Thank you. And Lord, people right now within the sound of my voice, some of them are worried about their future. Some of them are anxious about it. Some of them are wondering what it is that you have for them. And so today I ask you to make yourself known in their present. Give them the courage and the grace to walk faithfully with you right now And as they do that, may you open up that window for them to see a glimpse of where you'll take them. And may we give you the glory as we follow you along the Jesus way to glory. And we pray in his name, amen.